Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, we have a very special guest, Beth Meisner, who is a Christian author and speaker. She's an ordained minister. She's founder and director of the Journey Center, a Christ-based center for spirituality, healing, and wholeness. She's written a book called Jesus and the Secret, where the Word of God and the Law of Attraction meet. Beth, or sorry, we're going to redo that, Randy. We're going to redo that name. I'm going to say the name of the book again, okay? She is author of the book, Jesus and the Secret, Where the Word of God and the Law of Attraction Intersect. Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's so wonderful to be with you. It is so great to have you here. Where are you today? I am on Big Bear Lake in Southern California. We're having a little writing retreat this week, my husband and I, and so we're up here. Actually, our son has joined us, and it's just lovely. Oh, that is so great. I have seen photos of that place in Big Bear where you are. In fact, I think the most recent photo I saw was a stunning view of the sunset from one evening. Oh, right, right, right. I took that with my own camera, too. All right. <laughs> Not a postcard. It looks like a Sometimes postcard. nature just, you know, it can't help but be a great photographer when nature's in all its glory, right? That's very true. So, you know, Beth, I asked you to be a guest on the show because I'm so inspired by the way you live your life and how you do what is often called how you walk your talk. And I know that um, the the route you took is a very interesting one, and and you don't always think the way that many people who are in a role like yours think. So I want us to explore a bit about you and your life and kind of your way of being in the world. So where did you grow up? Let's start there. Where did you grow up, and what kind of childhood did you have? I moved around a lot. I would have to say that uh, I, I was, I'm a southern girl. I was born in Texas, and my dad uh, moved us around a little bit, uh, Missouri, Florida, back to Texas, and then we moved to Tennessee. So I was in Tennessee for junior high and high school. 
Um, and right before I left to go to college, he moved us back to Texas. So my heart is kind of in both of those two states as far as a home state. Um, I have a younger brother who's very close in age to me. We're about 23 months apart. And then we have a sister that came along a lot later in life. Um, she's nine years younger than I am, and she's one of my very best friends. I got to know her more or less as an adult because when I left for home, I left for college rather at 18, she was only nine years old. So uh, I didn't yeah. really get to know her um, well until after uh, she graduated, I graduated, and she moved on, and we got to know one another as adults. So I had a very conservative upbringing. Um, my parents were very involved in a really conservative Christian religion. Um, and uh, I went to the church Bible college. I did not go to Bible college to become an ordained minister. Mm. In those days, I, you, a woman went to Bible college to become a pastor's wife. Uh. And that was my expectation, that I would marry a man that was in ministry. I learned how to entertain. I learned how to speak. I learned how to plan uh, parties, dinner parties, and where to put silverware and all of that kind of thing. And uh, all of that has really helped me in my marriage to Ivan. He's not a minister, but he has a leadership role in our organization, which is B&I. And we do entertain, and I need to know those things, so it really works out well for me. <laughs> well, and as a world speaker, you um, definitely have benefited from knowing how to do that because you do that very well. So what shifted, you know, when when did you realize you were not going to be the wife of a minister? You know, after I left college, uh, the real world got a hold of me, and it wasn't this millennial setting that my experience had been up until then. The church I was raised in was very isolating. We stayed to ourselves. We didn't really interact with people who didn't believe like we did because we were trying to insulate ourselves from influences that were undesirable, let's say. Mm -hmm. So it took about two, maybe three years after college for me to... What a different experience to be a little bit more inclusive, to hold on to my faith, but be open to other people. Um, I, it's kind of an analogy of when you're young, uh, you don't drink alcohol because you, you know, you might misuse it or you might be taken over by it or what have you. But when you get older, having a glass of wine or two or, you know, pacing yourself and enjoying an adult beverage is appropriate because you have your own limits and you, you know, hopefully you can handle that, right? Mm -hmm, I kind of felt right? the same way about my experience with this particular church. As an adult, mm -hmm. I had my strong faith. I knew where my feet were planted and it was in scripture and not even necessarily in dogma. I began to mm -hmm. realize that that was my reality and to be part of that particular religious experience. I needed my feet planted in their dogma, and I realized that my feet weren't there. So I made some changes. I moved away. Um, my husband will tell you I was pursued by this church. I got many phone calls, and finally he had to stand, uh, stand his ground and say, she doesn't want to speak with you. She doesn't want to return to this particular church. Stop calling her. Um, and so that kind of eased up for me. 
it was a scary thing to do because it was all I had known, and it was yeah. the way I had been conditioned to believe. Right. Um, when you've been in an experience like that, it's it's scary, it's frightening to consider uh, stepping away from that. There are very well-designed arguments put in place to keep you in that box, let's say, and it just didn't work for me anymore. I was, it, it, I don't know, I was... It was obvious to me that it wasn't working for me anymore, but I did not want to become a Buddhist. I didn't want to become an atheist. You know, I still was very clear with myself that I was a Christian. I needed to learn some accurate interpretations of Scripture, so I went back to college and got a master's degree in theology um, from a Nazarene university. So I I got a little bit of more of a realistic grounding in Scripture, if you want to put it that way, and it served me well. Hmm. And so the the lineage um, belief system that you grew up in, uh, was that the Mennonite? That was my great-grandmother's uh, religious path. Her, um, her, grand, her daughter, which was my grandmother, followed a Methodist path, and my mother was Methodist as she grew up, but then her mother and my mother heard uh, Herbert W. Armstrong, who had started the Radio Church of God way back in the 30s, I believe, or I think late 30s, early 30s, and it became the Worldwide Church of God, which is very, one way to think of it is it's kind of like a Jehovah's Witness, a Mormon, and a Seventh-day Adventist rolled all up into one. Okay. So we had some beliefs from all three of those faith traditions, and we were trying as well to follow a Hebrew Christian pattern. So we worshipped on the, the Jewish festivals instead of the Christian holy days. It was it was very, very tightly constructed, very well defended in Scripture. However, uh, I left in 1989, and in 1991-92, the doctrines of that particular church started to shift as well. Um, they are now part of the Evangelical Association of America. They have renamed themselves Grace Communion International, and they are um, more of a mainstream Protestant Christian sect now. I went back um, and enjoyed my time back in that faith for a while, and uh, then I've moved on to pursue other forms of worship and walking my Christian path since then. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting. You know, I, I um, it's when I hear about the concept of religion versus spirituality, you know, I sometimes think that um, religion has destroyed spirituality, you know, because... Mm-hmm. Um, the I mean you talk about the difference between scripture and dogma and in a lot of ways religion has in many cases become dogma and as opposed to helping individuals to evolve in their spiritual path or 
see that there's something bigger than them or that there's a way of being in the world that um, is generous and open-hearted and um, mm-hmm. there's values to follow, etc. And so, and I can, I can say that uh, having my experience as a child in the Catholic Church and, um, and some of the nuns that I experienced were quite dogmatic. Um, and, of course, the Catholic Church has shifted in some ways over the years, in other ways not so much. And so as a young person, you know, walked away from Catholicism saying, I'm done. You know, I'm done with religion. I mean, I just kind of put it all in the category of religion and said, I am done. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I have, I know so many people who have done that. And, and, and what I find interesting is that in the world of spirituality, even the conversation around Christianity kind of, you know, can have a charge around it. Because so many people have decided that Christianity means religion. What's your perspective on that? Uh, well, one thing that I was thinking while you were talking is that it's it's not possible to paint with a wide brush. Because there are some places where the application of religion is powerful and transforming and life-giving. But when religion is used as a club to get yeah. someone into submission or, you know, that type of a, of a approach, then it becomes detrimental. There are so, so, so many flavors of Christianity in the world. Oh. And there are, there are so many ways for us to express the teachings of Jesus Christ um, when you get right down to the nuts and bolts of the Christian message, and the message of Jesus is love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And in this world, I don't know how many people there are that really ultimately would disagree with that teaching. Right. That is what the power of our faith rests in. But then we get... This is the other thought that was coming to me while you were speaking. We get people who have different personality types, different behavioral styles, Mm -hmm. different psychological needs, and it's fascinating to me to consider that there are people who need a very structured, rigorous practice. They need boundaries around them. It's almost like there is a cult mind you know, there's a mind that gravitates toward a cultic leader or a charismatic leader um, that needs that and craves that. Where it breaks down is that if you are uh, not natured that way and you're being, but I didn't feel like I was being forced, but certainly I had to choose which path I was going to walk. I couldn't walk that path and have a more free thought like I wanted. Um, then it becomes uncomfortable. The beauty is there are so many flavors, but there's a place in my faith tradition, there is a place for a wide variety of practices, whether you have Christian groups, the Journey Center certainly is one where we're very much more geared towards spirituality spirituality than religion. I'm an ordained minister, but I'm not a pastor, and I don't pastor the Journey Center. I facilitate conversations. 
open conversations that can be controversial, that are undergirded with deep love for one another, so we're not putting each other down. No one is made to feel that their position is um, alienating or going to cause us to withdraw in our love for each other. So there's many ways to approach Christianity, many ways along that whole spectrum of, of dogmatic religion and freedom of spiritual formation and spirituality. You know, I, I love the, the way you say that, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, I wish our society as a whole would return to the whole idea of discourse, where we could actually have conversation, whether it's about politics or belief systems or different religions or different ideologies, so that we could actually simply have conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And bit of that happening with the college-aged groups and the younger people, but, Cheryl, I think personality and, and human nature being what it is, there are always going to be topics that are charged when someone is made to feel their position is wrong or that they are unacceptable because of their right. beliefs, and that's what right, happens. Right. right. And I think you're right that the the younger age, the young adult today, is much more inclined to have the conversation, much mm-hmm. more. And, mm-hmm. um, and my hope is that that continues to be part of that generation's norm. And with that, you know, we will have major shifts in our societies and in the way the world works. Mm-hmm. You know, I, um, you are founder and director of an organization called the Journey Center, and it's a center for spirituality, healing, and wholeness. Tell us about that. The Terry Center originated in Northern California in Santa Rosa, and I have the privilege and pleasure of having opened the second Journey Center that exists in the world, and we're hoping it's the second of many. It's an alternate place for, and I don't want to say just Christians, because we have people from all different faith traditions who gather together at the Journey Center for some of our classes, our meditations, our field trips, our excursions, our book reading groups. We are a Christian organization. We're a nonprofit, but we have multi-faith, interfaith conversations. Um, We explore things that you're not going to necessarily explore in a Protestant church. My reading group in um, October is going to be focusing on St. Teresa of Avila and reading her book about the many mansions. I don't think that my local community church would offer that (laughs) for some reason. So um, it's just such a wonderful, I don't want to say place because it's not actually a place. It's a wonderful feeling to be in a spiritual community which has been created by the Journey Center. Very loving. It's very warm. We have a, a social justice piece. We feed the homeless. We actually go and eat with the homeless. We don't stand behind a table and feed them. We make a potluck and mm. include them in our, our meal. And uh, we're, we're really here for people who maybe are allergic to church, but they still want to study the Bible. They still want to learn about Jesus' teachings. How do they apply in our world today? Mm. Uh, or maybe for someone who's just getting their feet wet with the Christian message and they're not quite ready to go into a church setting. Um, or maybe someone who's very firm in their particular faith but are curious and want to know more about the Christian message. That's who we are, and that's what we do. 
I love it. People who are allergic to church. <laughs> Great way to say that. <laughs> yeah, and we have to take a break. There are, yes, there are. We have to take a break. And when we, when we come back, I want to talk more about some other very interesting things that you do that most people would not expect. We'll be right back. <laughs> We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito and our special guest today, Beth Meisner. So, Beth, we've spoken a lot about your upbringing and how you moved into this level of spirituality in your life where you really are helping people to uncover it in theirs. There are some other things that you are trained to do that most people would be surprised to know. Um, So... You know, we're not surprised that you're a Christian meditation and prayer leader, and you do that really well. You are a certified sports nutritionist. Well, that's interesting. You are a black belt in karate. Uh huh. Oh yeah. And you practice Tai Chi and Qigong. Yes. You are fluent in Spanish and German. I think we could go on and on and on. But suffice to say that, you know, I don't think most people expect that their spiritual leader is a black belt in karate. (laughs) You know, my path through the martial arts took a very interesting turn. My husband broke his leg really, really badly in February of 1990. So, right, we had just been married not even quite a year um, part of his rehab after he got his cast off and he was able to start exercising again was to go into karate. He had done judo in college and he really liked it. So when it was time for him to pick some type of resistance work and training work that he would do to rehab after his leg was broken, he picked karate. So it was something we started doing together. It was a way to get exercise and to learn a discipline. I had a very rocky time as a young person with my temper, um, and I had uh-huh. a very hard time with controlling my temper, and I thought, well, martial arts might be a great way for me to learn some personal discipline as well, physically, so when I get upset, I don't throw something, you know, uh-huh. and it would teach me to, to redirect that energy and be more positive with the way I am in the world. 
As I progressed through the belts, Ivan went very quickly, and boom, in a year and a half, he was a black belt. Well, I had children, <laughs> so my <laughs> study of martial arts went a little bit more slowly because I had right. long stretches of time when I wasn't able to train, but I knew I wanted to be a brown belt in karate. I at least wanted to make it to brown belt. Once you make it to brown belt, you've... You've mastered the basics pretty well, and all of a sudden you think, it wouldn't be much of a stretch for me to go all the way uh, for black belt, you know? So at that point, it became a, a stretch point for me. My son was also training in martial arts by this time, and we almost went to black belt together, which was really fun. We competed together. We won trophies together. It was just a really fun way to interact with my son. He was about 11, 12 years old by that point. But for some reason, he slowed down in his training, and I was almost 40, and I knew I needed to stay on my target or it wasn't going to happen for me. And sure enough, right after I turned 40, about three months later, I tested for black belt and went to black so it was more of an outward discipline for me, more physical. It kept me really fit, physically fit. Yeah. Um, I, I did have a shift in my ability to discipline myself, and one of our mantras was, I will discipline my mind and, and control my thoughts and my actions, and it really did make a, a big difference for me. After I got my black belt, I knew I didn't want to go on to second degree, black belt, third degree. It goes all the way up to 10th degree in our school system. I just knew physically I couldn't train at that level mm. much longer because it, it hurts. <laughs> you know, you yeah. it people, you thrown yeah. to the floor enough times, you know, it does hurt. So I went into internal martial arts and started studying Tai Chi, which I wish now I had done first. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the internal martial arts, now that's where you're going to get more of the spiritual discipline, more of the mental discipline. Um, moved through Tai Chi into Qigong, working with energy flow, working with visualization. And I, you can hear my voice change, can't you, when I'm talking about Absolutely, it? yeah. It is a totally different experience. And I think had I studied it first, a, I may have never been interested in the external martial arts, that, that yang expression of energy, or I would have gone through a little more quickly without the pain in the body because of the things that you learn when you work internally. Right, right. I practice Tai Chi, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I've never done karate because it does look painful. <laughs> you know? I think if, yeah. I, if I study karate now... Using what I've learned about how to hold the body and move the energy, I don't think that it would hurt as much, and I would probably become more skilled much more quickly. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And did you find that um, even with your capacity to maintain some discipline after you did the karate, to maintain some discipline around your temper and the way you engage in the world, did it shift even more after you started working in Tai Chi? Um, it did. Yes, it definitely did. But there was another piece that ties in a bit with the sports nutrition aspect. My son, as he was growing up, we noticed that he had a hard time ingesting red dye number 40. And whenever he would eat anything with red dye 40, he would become easily agitated he would get physically 
uh, aggressive, I'm mm. seeing a pattern here with myself. And as I moved through the martial arts and started really paying attention to my nutrition, when I eliminated any and all foods with artificial color, I have never had one more trigger. Not one. So I really, really suspect there was a chemical component to brain function coming into play with me as well. And when I look back in my teenage years when I got the worst, my brother and I would fight, mm-hmm. physically fight, you know. Wow. I did not take my lunch money and buy the school lunch. I took my lunch money and bought strawberry lemonade, which has red dye 40. Right. A of Skittles, which has red dye 40. And some other type of candy, and sometimes I would buy a strawberry sundae from the ice cream lady in the school, which has red dye 40. I was eating a lot of red dye on a daily basis. Mm. So I, it's my belief that that had a big part to play in, in my own way that things processed in my brain. Well, you know, that's a great segue to one of the topics I wanted to talk about today. Um, and, and I promise you we will get to your book because I want to talk about that too. But, you know, <laughs> recently you have become very focused on nutrition. Um, you had an event in your life which pretty much turned everything upside down. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. In March of 2012... My husband and I learned that he has prostate cancer. Um, He's currently in remission from prostate cancer. In the last year and a half, we completely revamped the way we eat, what we eat, how we eat, when we eat, the nutrition that we give our bodies, the exercise we do. We meditate together, which we never did that before. We do things like saltwater baths. I'm, I'm kind of immersing myself in his transition as well because it's helpful for me too. I've had some amazing shifts in health conditions mm. like my, my heart of hearing. Uh, I was hard of hearing and wore hearing aids. They've been gone almost a year now. I don't need them anymore. So a lot of really positive things, but the most positive thing that he's in remission. He did not do any cancer treatment, no radiation, no chemotherapy, no focal mm. therapies, no surgery. He just changed his diet and made some of these important lifestyle changes. He's a very high-profile guy. He speaks around the world internationally, and we run BNI, which is a, a very large membership organization. So when he goes into one of our markets and he is 40 pounds lighter than he was just six, seven, eight months pre- previous when I saw him last, yes. everybody's been wanting to know, you know, what are you doing? You look great. How did you get rid of your cancer? <laughs> you know, so we yeah. have a website. Our website is the Meisner. It's called uh, MeisnerPlan.com. And at the website, we outline almost all the things There's still some more articles that I'm writing that will go up on the site, but all the things we did to get our health back, and I think in doing those things to get our health back, his immune system got to be so strong and so powerful and awake that his own body took care of the tumor. And the last time he had an ultrasound scan, the doctor doing the scan said, there's really nothing remarkable here. If I didn't know you had had something here, I would not have even marked this section of the slide, and I wouldn't tell you you needed to go have a biopsy, certainly, because what's here actually looks normal. Wow. That's pretty fascinating. 
you know, it sounds power like power of the you, body. You, you have, the body is really powerful, right? And it sounds like you have been paying attention to that for a long time. So, you know, as you talk about you were paying attention to it when your kids were little, Mm-hmm. And now it's come back full circle, and it has changed your life, including the rest of your family. You know, I, it makes me wonder about, um, you know, how we got so far away from what was good for us, right, mm-hmm. in the world, whether it's in food or in the information we put into our brain or, you know, experiences that we have on a daily basis, you know, what, what's your sense of, you know, how we move so far away from, in my words, being human? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it has to do with being conscious of your experience of life or not being conscious. And I don't mean that in a woo-woo way. You either, you either go through the motions and you just do what your mother did, you do what you see on TV, you just do what's comfortable, what feels good in the moment, what tastes good, and you go that path thinking, and I had someone say this to me, I don't need to make these changes now because if I ever develop any of those health conditions, the medical profession is going to help me. And I think that is a way of living that is completely unconscious. Mm. Or you can live your life in a way that is extremely conscious, aware that the choices you make today and what you eat are going to dictate how you live out your life, whether you have a long life or you have a short life mm. or you're, you're ailing when you're in your later years or are you still alert, vibrant, healthy, dying a natural, pain-free death as you sleep at night and you're 110 years old? <laughs> you know? so That's a great way to go. Has to, absolutely. <laughs> Where are you with that now? Are you conscious? of what you're doing today and how it's going to impact not just your own self, but your whole environment and the planet tomorrow. I think very, very, very many of us are lulled into that unconscious state. Mm, yeah. I think you're so right about that. And, I, you know, I, I see that there's shift happening. I see that people are paying more attention to that and they're paying mm-hmm. more attention to being on purpose in their life. And... Mm-hmm. And in some ways, that um, is a bit about what you write about in your book, Jesus and the Secret, where the Word of God and the Law of Attraction intersect. So what was the genesis of your book? What, what made you decide to write this? Oh, Shell, you'll love this. We were in, I think even I was on a retreat with you in um, Bermuda, were you at the conference? I wasn't in Bermuda. No, I, okay. I wasn't in Bermuda. Well, the Transformational Leadership Council has contained a lot of the speakers and teachers that were filmed for The Secret. So I was involved with that through my husband being a member there, and I, I was part of the, the whole process of bringing the movie to reality and, and Rhonda Byrne's work and all of that. And I was very, very intrigued with the way she used scripture in the movie. And then when I read the book, also found that there was a lot more scripture in there and a lot more reference to God. And I knew that my Christian brothers and sisters were very leery, very skeptical, very questioning about mm-hmm. the idea of a law of attraction because it seemed to take it take, took power away from God and gave me all the power. And they're not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. But in in resisting the message 
of the secret. They were also resisting truth that's in Scripture. I mean, she's quoting Scripture that's there. It's not, you know, some secret reference right. she has, but it's there for all of us to read. So in the middle of the night, I think it was 2.33 in the morning, I sat bolt upright in the bed there in the Hotel of Bermuda and said out loud, oh, Jesus, and the secret. There's a combination there. There's a, an intersection that somebody needs to write about. So I started researching who's written this book, who, who has, and there were a lot of people writing in my faith tradition about the secret, but they were bashing the message, completely, you know, taking a sword and just severing all of the, the joints and just tearing it up. There's my karate background. <laughs> and I didn't see, nor have I seen anyone yet, really take a look at the teaching of the Law of Attraction and where where are you finding that in Scripture. So if you read my book, and you can get it at BethMeisner.com, there are links there for you to download a free chapter, or you can click on the link to Amazon and buy the actual book. And if you send it to me, you'll see my address on my website. I'm happy to sign it for you and send it back to you. But you'll find a lot of scripture. And people who have reviewed the book have said it felt like an amazing Bible study because I really tried only, I didn't, I really only quoted scripture. I quoted different chapters and verses in the Bible that support eight major points in the secret and ending with, how powerful love is, that love truly has the power to transform and change your whole life. I see the law of attraction as a very amazing, powerful, uh, kind of a irrefutable uh, tool for spiritual formation. It's not just about manifesting a beautiful home or manifesting the perfect spouse or manifesting that car you've always wanted. It's about creating a character within yourself that reflects God and how we see God spoken of in Scripture, love, patient, kind, gentle, meek, all those things that as we focus and think about those and dwell on those attributes, we develop that within ourselves. So that, to me, was the message I wanted to convey. Well, I love that because, you know, what you're talking about is... is people in the um, Christian community basically saying that work called The Secret is blasphemy. And, you know, it. Um, I, I've always found that an interesting, for me, a disconnect between um, the power within me versus all the power is outside of me, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, so... It, how would you describe that to people if you were trying to help them understand, you know, the power in me versus God holds all the power? How would you help them come to terms with that? There is at play here two concepts that are, that, that as a Christian, I understand one quite well. I don't necessarily, unless I'm in a Christian tradition that teaches this second concept, I don't understand it. So I try to work with these two concepts. The first is duality, me, God, you, me, the world, the church. There's all these images in Scripture about duality. The other concept is non-duality, and I believe Scripture holds both it's not either or, it's both. 
that I and my Father are one, that the Church is many members, but we are one body, that there's a very powerful concept of non-duality, that when we understand that, the separation we tend to feel as Christians dissolves, and you suddenly realize that I am in God and God is in me. There is no separation between the two. So that was a shift that came for me slowly uh, over about a 10-year period, but in the last two or three years, I've really been diving more deeply into that concept of non-duality and studying some literature outside of Christian tradition so I can understand what other religions mean when they talk about non-duality. And I maybe that's another book, Cheryl, because I see non-duality all through Scripture, from Genesis mm. to Revelation. And when I start living my life from a place of merged nature with God, what a different experience life is. What a different experience the tragedies of life become, because they're all part of this perfection as well. And I couldn't really get that. I couldn't really understand it until I really kind of researched and studied and read more and came to an understanding of non-duality. Well, you know, I love the way that you um, frame this as, you know, this is, this is a, an option. We can choose to step into this way of being. We do not have to be bound by um, another's interpretation of what, of what is meant, you know, in terms of scripture or any other um, type of, of belief system. Right, you know, and, and and that really that kind of gets back to my sense of taking responsibility for our own belief, taking responsibility for um, how we live our life. I often see people who um, who I, a friend of mine calls it being spiritually lazy when they don't question anything about their religion or their belief system or, you know, they simply repeat the language and either do or don't live up to that. And, you know, it's it's kind of like spiritual laziness, right? Mm-hmm. It's so an I, unconscious I, I, way, very unconscious way to practice your religion, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Or even mm-hmm. just live your life, right? Yes. Even live your life. life. Yeah. Well, we have I more to talk about. Be... We have more to talk about with Beth Miser when we come right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? 
If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. Our guest today is Beth Meisner. She is the author of Jesus and the Secret, Where the Word of God and the Law of Attraction Intersect. So, Beth, I just, I love this conversation. I just, I love how you, you know, you're really challenging all of us to think with intention, not only about how we live our lives, but, you know, how we hold our beliefs, no matter what our beliefs are. And I think that is so important in our world today, um, taking responsibility. It really, really matters. You know, you do a really interesting thing with your kids. Um, I, I love this. You, with the, the organization that you you and your husband co-founded and run um, the BNI Foundation, BNI Meisner Foundation. You are teaching your kids about philanthropy, and you have been for several years. Tell us what you do with them to get them connected to this. All right, this is so fun, and I it gives gives me so much satisfaction to watch them creating their own path when it comes to philanthropy and being humanitarians. I think it's very, very important to give of your blessings, and our company has grown to such a point that we have the capacity to have our own nonprofit foundation. So within our foundation, we give each of our children one grant per year that they're able to gift. They don't have to fund the grant. We have funded it already, but they get to find an organization. They get to come to us and tell us why they feel it's a worthy organization, what the project is, and how much of the $1,000 they want to use. In the BNI Foundation, the focus is children's educational programs. So we've told our children, if you pick a children's educational program, we will match your $1,000 contribution and it will make a $2,000 contribution. So my daughters have their different interests and my son has his different interests. My son typically will pick something with animal rights. He is an animal lover. He loves supporting the Humane Society locally and also on a nationwide basis. So he normally directs his gifts to some type of animal shelter work like that. Well, after the tornadoes ripped through the Joppa, Missouri area, he heard me talking about rebuilding some schools, that the BNI Foundation was raising money to help Joplin rebuild their high school because their high school got completely wiped out. And he said to me, Mom, this year if I take my grant and direct it toward rebuilding that school, would that count for the match? 
And I told him, absolutely, we'll count towards the match. And he got this big smile on his face. He said, then my $1,000 gift would turn into a $2,000 gift for them. And I said, yes, that's right. And he said, I want to pick the job on high school this year. So he sent his grant to rebuild our schools in the Dublin School District, and uh, we matched it, and he was able to, to have a real impact on other kids in, in, our, in our country. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing with the kids. Um, it reminds me we're in August, and I need to probably sit down with them and see what their 2013 choices are going to be. Our daughters... My oldest is 27, middle daughter is 22. They both share a heart for women and children who are trafficked around the world, as I do. So we tend to do, the three of us, a lot of work for ending sexual slavery and human trafficking and that type of thing. Matter of fact, when I had the book concept idea for Jesus and the Secret, I decided that I was going to do what Rick Warren has done with his Purpose Driven Life series and reverse ties. Instead of giving 10% of my profits to a charity, I wanted to give 90% and just keep 10 for myself, which is what I've done with Jesus and the Secret. So 90% of the book sales are going to International Justice Mission. The International Justice Mission protects women and children who are being either enslaved or their homes and properties are being taken away from them in tribal nations where they do have laws that are supposed to protect that population, but the tribal rituals and the tribal pattern is superseding the laws of the country. They have attorneys that go in and defend the widows and the children. I tend to take the Bible pretty to heart, and there's a scripture that says, true religion is this, to visit the widows in their affliction and to care for the orphans. So that's something my girls and I are doing with our charity work. That is really... That's really important. That's re- that's so selfless, you know, to be able to do that. And um, you know, it, it's such a you're, you're such a role model for your children, for people around you. And you know, I imagine that there are times when it is tough to be a role model. Imagine there are times when um, people have such high expectations of you that <laughs> if you, if you, you know, kind of have a bad day or you know you're not going so well or or that old temper shows up or whatever, um, it, it, people must not handle that very well. Is that true? You know, I when I see someone and feel like they're putting me up on a pedestal. I, I'm picking up on it pretty clearly from them. I'll say to them, don't, please don't put me up on a pedestal because it's a long way to fall. I'd rather start from here. <laughs> you know, I am not a superwoman. I have flaws. I have character defects. I have shortcomings. But at the end of the day, you know those bracelets people used to wear? I think some people still do. They're pretty trite. WWJD, what would Jesus do? I want my whole life informed by that question, and I want to live my life in a way that reflects Jesus to you and to the person here and the person there. I don't want... I had a friend that used to pray, and I loved how she'd start her prayer. She would say, Lord, hide me behind the cross. I don't want people to see me when they see my work in the world or my life in the world. 
because I believe in non-duality, I want people to see God. You know, and I and I, I want people to see God even in my imperfection and my weaknesses because I think that's part of God too. Mm. Well, this has been quite enlightening. I have so enjoyed this time with you, Beth. <laughs> Me too, Cheryl. Yeah, and you know, I I really. Um, Knowing you personally and being fortunate enough to experience you face-to-face, what I experience in you is just pure light and pure openness and generous, generous heart. And I have always been so fascinated with how you carry that because it's genuine. And, you know, there's nothing about it that's not genuine. And so I knew you would have something important to say today. That's why I wanted you to be on Leading Conversations. So the book is Jesus and the Secret, Where the Word of God and the Law of Attraction Intersect. Beth Meisner, thank you for being with us today. We appreciate it a lot. Thank you, Cheryl. Remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management Thank you.